Welcome to the Premium Finance Show. Interviews and insights from industry professionals, helping you use financed insurance to provide tax-free withdrawals and extended estate protection. The Premium Finance Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, John McDonough. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Premium Finance Show. John McDonough here, president of Cool Springs Financial. And I am pleased to welcome Josh Farrell, a very good friend of mine, and a client of Cool Springs onto our first. Josh, this is our first video podcast that we're doing. So (laughs) I hope this works. I've seen other people do it. I think it can work. Josh, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So happy to be the first. Yeah, yeah you got to be the first. You are because I've been to your place before. You're sitting in your studio right now. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, Josh is a very successful singer, songwriter living in Nashville, Tennessee, not far from the Cool Springs office. Beautiful home, beautiful wife, beautiful family. Josh, for those of you, for those of the listeners that haven't heard of your fame and success, can you kind of give us a little bit of your history and where you sure. got to where you are today? Yeah. So in high school, I uh, started playing guitar and met some buddies that you know, played some instruments as well. So started some bands and kind of fell in love with it. Some garage bands. Never really played any shows except for maybe some like talent shows or you know, coffee house sort of things. But yeah, just fell in love with music in general. Started playing on the worship team at church and Next thing you know, I mean, I'm in a band with my brother, a girl named Haley, and, you know, two other guys. And I don't know, we just started generating a lot of buzz, a lot of hype, and people were kind of freaking out about us. And we're like, oh, we must be pretty good. I don't know. Yeah, which that band later became Paramore. And so, yeah, I started that band. I think I was probably a freshman or no sophomore, I think. And my brother was in high school. Yeah, high school, somewhere. Can't I can't remember. It's been so long. So yeah, we we got a record deal, started touring, and the rest is history. I mean, did that for about seven years. Uh, got off the road, wanted to be home. Got because I got married, and just the touring life is great, super fun, but just brutal. You know, it's a little exhausting for me anyway. So I wanted to start a family, wanted to be home, wanted to be present, and so I took the songwriting route and. Because you're able to, you know, write during the day and be home with your family at night. So I've been doing that ever since and primarily write praise and worship right now for the church. That's just kind of my passion is just worship music. And then I also do like, you know, a little TV film like on the side. So, yeah, I'm loving it. And I'll probably do it till I'm, you know, as long as they let me at least. <laughs> as long as they keep behind your catalog keep going <laughs> and now you've written or co-written some pretty mainstream songs right can you name a couple of the songs that you've been a part of yeah i mean all of my mainstream ones are you know with paramore probably i mean the, the some of their biggest or our biggest was you know a song called misery business which recently <laughs> There was a lawsuit and uh, Olivia Rodrigo ripped that song off. So we actually are technically writers on that song now. Her song, Good For You, which was a number one worldwide, you know, pop song (laughs) recently. 
So I got to reap the benefit of that, but you know, none of the labor. I was that was pretty epic. So oh, you had already put the labor in beforehand. So yeah, yeah. I guess so. It's just like a, it's kind of like a Cool Springs policy, you know. It's just this starts like exponential growth just happens as years and years. <laughs> you like that plug. Uh, we didn't even practice that. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> and then you know, another big one was. I think most people know, like, the only exception was a Paramore song that was, you know, it's kind of ballad and, you know, really like a kind of just a love, sweet love song people like. And then another song, Decode, was uh, on the Twilight movie. That one did really well because, you know, Twilight was huge. Yeah. It just so happened the author was a Paramore fan. So worked out for us. That's awesome. And then, you know, and I, you know, I was, you know, blessed enough to be a part of a song called This Is Amazing Grace, Phil Wickham and Jeremy Riddle. And that song is, you know, it's Massive. been a very successful you know, worship song played throughout, you know, churches across the world, which is to me like, you know, one of the greatest accomplishments. That's just, that just feels really cool that, you know, something I wrote could be, you know, worshiped, you know, too, or it could be used as a tool to worship you know, the Lord all the way across the globe. So congratulations on your success, man. What are you currently working on right now? Well, right now I've got two projects going on. Uh, I've got a worship project that I'm teaming up with three other worship writers that I've just known over the years. And we've just randomly been set up on right co-writes. So we decided, you know, after writing, you know, all four of us writing together one day, we just felt like there was something really special about what we did together. And so we're like, oh man, let's do this again soon. So we did, sure enough, we got another amazing song. So we were like, let's, one of the guys was like, man, I want to like start a project. Actually, I want to be able to like put a face to this name, so to speak, you know, like this, I want people to hear this music because a lot of songwriters I mean, I, talk to any songwriter that does it professionally. They've got hard drives of songs that pe- no one's ever heard, like mm-hmm. thousands of them. <laughs> I always say they're just floating up in space somewhere with Elon, you know, like <laughs> it's just, it's crazy the amount of songs we write and the ones that, you know, compared to the ones that see the light of day. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we really wanted, to, we felt like these songs we were cultivating were just much too special to, you know, put on that hard drive. So we're going to release them and we're really excited about that. We're set to record at the end of the month, beginning of August. So excited about that. And this week I'm recording, I have another project that I'm doing. It's kind of just like indie acoustic, you know, folk stuff with a buddy of mine. We're just, you know, kind of same thing, like passionate about the same kind of music. This all, Obviously this isn't worship though. This is, you know, mainstream whatever you want to call it just but our, we love bands like you know gosh i just go on forever but our passions like like the national or like i love fleet foxes and you know bands go on like it, the list goes on but we just wanted to create something that you know evokes that same emotion you get when you're listening to our favorite bands and we're, so when we get together we're like we create this i don't know this almost feels like magical we create this this product that is really special to us so we just plan on putting that out hopefully getting it you know synced to tv shows you know the stuff you'd hear in like maybe Grey's anatomy or 
you know, a Netflix series or something like that. So that's the goal with that. But, you know, at the same time, we really don't want any, we don't want to set any standards or goals because we want it to just flow freely because I feel like that can stifle the creativity if you, if you get too technical, get too business minded about it. So anyway, those are the two projects I'm working on. And I don't know if I'm allowed to release the names yet. So I'll don't keep do that under yeah. But that's what I'm up to these days. Uh, in addition exciting. to writing for the church, you know, like, yeah. you know, well, in addition to being a husband and a dad of two little ones, oh yes, your little ones are how old now? So Basil is she is five, four. She thinks she's five. No, she's four and a half. And then Leon is two. And awesome. yeah, our hands are full. My wife is Jenna. She's an incredible wife, incredible mother to our kids, and like you said, you know, living in in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. Yeah, life is full. It's busy, but full and amazing. And I met you when you were already a Cool Springs client. I didn't know you prior to that. So I'm interested to know, and our listeners want to know, because everyone listening to this podcast, Josh, is somehow, some way thinking about becoming a client with Cool Springs as an attorney, CPA, CFO of someone thinking about doing this for their firm or, or for themselves and their family for cool springs so everyone here has a cool springs how did you find cool springs story because you know we don't advertise we don't market it's all basically word of mouth so curious how did you come to learn about cool springs so i have known clint mosley who works for cool springs for a couple of years now i met him through some mutual friends. We actually used to go to the same church, but we never connected. But everyone was telling us, you guys got to meet the Mosleys. You got to meet Clint and Tara. They're amazing people. So anyway, finally, we connected one day. I think we ran into them. Turns out I used to date Tara's cousin years ago. And I was like, oh, weird. Small world. But anyway, so we just hit it off. You know, they're amazing people. Clint is just stand up guy. I mean, first class. And so naturally we hit it off, you know, <laughs> but yeah, so we just, we started grabbing coffee and just hanging out on the regular. And I knew like a little bit about what he did, but not really. So I just kind of poked and prodded. I was like, man, so what do you do? It's like, well, like, give me the details, give me the ins and outs, give me the scoop. So he was gracious enough to sit down with me and <laughs> hold my hand through it because it took a long time. And I was like, wait, so you're telling me that I can have tax-free money to withdraw after a certain amount of number of years from a death benefit from life insurance? I don't know. No, that seems too good to be true. He's like, it is. (laughs) It is too good to be true. So, and without anything, you know, out of my pocket, I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Where do I sign? Yeah. So that's how I heard about it. And from there, you know, I, I took that information home shared it with Jenna. I was like, this seems like a really promising opportunity and something I want to utilize. And uh, yeah, just went from there. So how do you, as someone in your position and with your success and your celebrity, I mean, you get pitched stuff frequently and often. And how did you, what was your process that you used to kind of filter through? Is it actually too good to be true? Like kind of walk me through or walk the listeners through how you processed. It sounds too good to be true to, okay, no, it really is this and this 
to get to a point where you and Jenna were really serious about making a decision? Do you know what I'm asking? Yep. Yeah. Well, I'd say, first of all, I just trust Clint, you know, I trust him completely. So, you know, I don't hang around people I don't trust, you know, as you can imagine, I've seen my fair share of, you know, untrustworthy people. And, you know, someone's always got an agenda when they meet me, you know, not all the time, but 90% of the time. So it was just refreshing to, to, you know, again, I approached Clint about it. It's not like Clint said, Hey, let me tell you about what we do. I think it would benefit you. I asked him, he's like, Oh yeah, we can hang and talk about it if you want. So that's really what sold me because trust is the most important thing, especially when it comes to finances, you want to trust the people handling your money and So that was first and foremost. And then secondly, you know, I vetted it as much as I could with my, you know, amateur concept of the whole, of the whole deal. But I, you know, I pitched it to my business manager, who's a CPA and also my financial planner. And again, I was expecting them to come back and find some loopholes, right? Find something that something negative, especially my business manager, because he's just as, you know, straightforward and. (laughs) he's a cpa (laughs) yeah he is exactly so but he's like man this is you know this is solid and he's like i you know i'm trying to find something some like like i said some loophole but he's like you know he's like i think with where you are financially and you know as diversified as you already are this is like that next stepping stone to really set you and your family up for the future and so you've sat with me uh, because you had referred someone for me to talk to, and you sat with me when I was explaining this to them. And, you know, you hear people say, well, I don't think it can really work that way. What happens if dot, 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 what happens if, you know, interest rates go through the roof and the cost of borrowing the money goes really high, or what happens if the stock market crashes? I mean, what was part of, or from your CPA and from your financial planner, what were some of the things that they told you that maybe how this could potentially fall apart? You know, they didn't really say anything in that regard. I mean, I think they were looking for that, but because of the fact that there's a floor of zero, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how the market performs, there's you're protected there. And I think that's, you know, probably one of the first places they went to, right? It's like, well, what if the market underperforms consecutively? You know, like they're like, oh, well, the floor is zero. Okay. Another thing that sounds too good to be true, but okay. And, you know, but yeah, they, again, I was expecting some sort of, you know, I just wanted, they were going to, I just knew they were going to rip it apart, but they didn't. And, you know, I've even followed up with them. I'm like, Hey, you know, you look through my deal. Like what's, you know, what are your concerns? And they're like, I mean, as far as we know, it just, it looks solid. And, you know, so as long as we stick with it and the market performs, which it will, you know, some years it won't, some years it will, but it's the long game. Yeah. And it's that ultimate belief in, in capitalism. And this is not a soapbox statement, but truly our clients, our business owners, successful individuals like yourself in various industries and they have an ultimate belief in capitalism that at the end of the day, no matter how bad it is right now, yes, things are tough right now. You know, the short term interest rates are rising. The uh, stock market is getting crushed. Inflation's an issue. 
things are happening. But at the end of the day, if you believe in capitalism, you know, we're going to turn the corner. We're going to figure out our 500 largest companies that are domiciled in the United States. They're going to figure out a way to be profitable. They always have. And you have to think that they always will. And let's face it. If they don't, then this structure is the least of our concerns because <laughs> everything from our financial uh, world is crumbling, right? Yep. And then it always, I know I'm talking a little more than I should have, but it's always funny to me when a financial planner, and yours didn't do this, but kudos to him, when a financial planner says, well, what happens if the stock market falls for year over year? And they compartmentalize this structure, even though it does have the 0% floor that the insurance carriers offer that 0% floor in the indexed universal life product. But my question to my potential client to ask their financial planner is, well, what happens with all the other investments your client has with you <laughs> if the stock market were to crumble year over year? What happens to that brokerage account? What happens to that IRA, that 401k, right? And so- good for your guys, right? Your trusted advisors for vetting it the right way. And I think that's the hardest thing is for trusted advisors to do what yours did. Because sometimes they don't know that how this works and they don't feel comfortable saying yes to something that they're not aware of how it really works. So their default is to say no, not I don't know, but no. Yep. Right. Okay. So you talked about, you know, it's got a 0% floor in your financial position. It made sense to you. So if you were going to, in a nutshell, what is your exposure? What is your ultimate concern? What's the one part that's unknown to you about this? So you have the bank loan, you've got the bank loaning the premium to the policy, and then when the cash value does not yet equal the loan balance, you have to put up collateral, right? The collateral post. So would you say that the collateral is your biggest exposure at this point? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And so when you're making the decision for you and Jenna and your family, does it not boil down to that collateral amount and what you feel comfortable with for your family. Yes, 100%. And so how did you determine that was appropriate for you guys? Don't get into dollar amounts, but how did you determine that made sense for you guys? What's the thought process or the conversation you and Jenna had? Because that's where, Josh, that's where most people get stuck is on the collateral, yeah. making sure that they have enough money to cover the collateral. What if, how did you guys do that? Yeah. I guess we're, you know, we're just in a position to where we could actually post that collateral and it made sense. I was like, why not? You know, and yeah, I think it just in the long run, it was going to further benefit us. And yeah, but yeah, that's, you know, that definitely, I think I can see how a lot of people are like, oh, you know, collateral. It's like, well, the goal is, you know, if you guys are, you know, set it up right. And I, like you said, capitalism, the market will perform. I mean, the goal is, you know, for that collateral to go away and, you know, X amount of years, hopefully sooner than later. That's so right. that's what I'm banking on, literally. And yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, and again, that's coming to people that I trust with my money, you know, talking to Clint, talking to you and be like, no, like we've seen this happen time and time again. People panic. It's that age old story, right? It's like the market underperforms for a month and people, you know, they start pulling out 
all kinds of investments, you know, you know, even crypto. I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's, you're supposed to wait it out. Like that's the rule of thumb, but, and I, but I get it though, because when those, you know, those are downturn in the market in any market, you just, you know, I, like I do real estate as well. So everybody starts to panic when it's not just like shooting through the roof, you know, like, well, that's just, it ebbs and flows, right? That's history. Yeah. And uh, there's a saying, it's never as bad as you think it is. And it's never as good as you think it is. Right. And, <laughs> and Warren Buffett's famous for saying when everyone's running out, you, that's when yeah. you need to be investing, right. Going back yeah. in. Yep. So you've referred us a couple of your peers and friends, and we're grateful for that. So what makes you feel so confident about this to refer, you know, your friends and your peers to us? Well, I, again, just the fact that I mean, I look at the model and you know the structure of the policy, and to me, it just makes sense. That's the best I can, you know, I can describe. Like, I just, I think it's a no-brainer. It's like you said, I've got, you know, you've got holdings with some, you know, whether it's in stocks or bonds or whatever the market. What happens to those when it crashes? So, why not, you know, invest in something like this, diversify that much more, and. Uh, you know, I, for me, I'll, it's like the, one of the biggest things is my family being taken care of. If I'm not here, at least I know financially they'll be set. That's like one less thing they have to worry about if yeah. something happens to me. You know, the last thing you want to be worrying about is how can we afford a funeral right now? You know, or, you know, what do we, we're going to have to sell our house, you know, on top of all the grief. So that to me is like, it's just a huge selling point. And I could, you know, I could go get, you know, 20 year term, whatever, and you know, however many, you know, 500 bucks a month. I don't know. So, but again, the actual death benefit pales in comparison to the potential of an IUL. And that to me, I'm like, man, I want my wife and kids to be set and my kids potentially to be set. You know, if, if I live long enough, Lord willing, you know, they will be. So creating generational wealth is important to me, you know, so, so they can, uh, you know, they can be blessed, but not only my children, but my children's children and so on and so forth. Like you said, generational wealth. And we do get clients, prospective clients asking us, why so much death benefit? Why are we going for so much death benefit? Right. And when you understand the structure, like you do, you realize that the larger the death benefit, the larger the premium that's going to go in for those first 10 years. Yes, it makes the bank loan larger, but when you realize that the collateral, the cash value is the collateral and you don't have a much additional collateral to post, relatively speaking, the larger the death benefit, the larger the premium, the larger the premium, the higher the cash value, the higher the cash value, the more growth, the more potential tax-free distributions, yeah. right? So it's most people don't, buy life insurance the way we structure the death benefit. Most people buy life insurance this way. They say, you know, my wife needs this amount of money when I die. My kids need this amount of money for school. We need to pay the house off and any loans. So I think X is a good number, 2 million, 5 million, whatever the number is. And here we show up saying, oh, and then they go to like select quote or terminsurance.com or something and try to buy the cheapest term rate. And then we come along and we're like, okay, based off of the industry, you make this much, you're this old, you have this much net worth, your business is valued at this, or your catalog is valued at this. 
and you can qualify for 50 million, just throwing a number out. And they were thinking about 5 million. They're like, well, why so much? But then you realize the economics of the whole thing, right? And how it all comes together. What about the process? So we've had people tell us this process takes a long time, which it does. But can you describe your how this process went for you, the good, the bad, the ugly? Yeah, I mean, I can, I, there was really no bad or ugly. It was just long, you know, and that's fine. It makes sense. I mean, this is no, you know, walk in the park. I mean, there's a lot of details. And, you know, if you're, you know, for the bank to be financing this and, you know, that's like, they don't want, you know, I think any health insurance company or insurance company, you know, they want to check the health of the individual. And so that makes sense. You know, we had to do the, you know, the whole physical thing, KG, make sure I'm healthy, that you know, that I don't keel over and die the day I sign, <laughs> right. right? So no one's wanting to shell out millions of dollars instantly. So the, they're <clears throat> banking on me living a long, healthy life. So they got to check that. They got to check all their boxes, dot their I's, cross their T's. So, you know, it, there was some, it really was painless though. Clint, you know, was, did an excellent job. He always call me and be like, Hey man, we're going to need you to sign these documents. This is what they're saying. Let me know if you have any questions. If I did, I could just text them or call them. It really was pretty painless. The most painful aspect was the timeline, but I mean, I mean, what's a few months, you know, six months. I don't know. I don't, I can't even remember how long it took, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's, it really wasn't a big deal. Yeah. The physical was easy. It was like had a nurse technician out to your house and, yeah, it's just it, it was just the waiting, you know. Now you maybe some phone interviews, just asking, you know, <clears throat> if you smoke, drink, that sort of thing. You know, just they're wanting to get to know you, you know, a little bit more about your health history and that sort of thing, which is standard expected, procedure. right? Especially like you said, if the insurance carrier is going to be on the hook for X millions of dollars of death benefit, and if the bank is loaning a premium of X million dollars per year, it's expected, right? So thank you yeah. for that. Because again, we didn't practice that either, but that is the truth. It takes time to cross T's, dot I's and make sure all that documentation is in. And you are who you say you are. Cause let's face it, certain people say they've got income and net worth of a certain level, and then you got to verify it. And then you find out that's not the case. So it's understandable from the financial perspective. Last thing, Judge. And thank you for your time today. You didn't have to do this. As a client, I'm so happy that you're doing this because we have so many prospective clients wanting to hear from an existing client. So thank you, man. I really do. I do mean that. So if someone's on the fence, if we have a prospective client that's on the fence and we've done all the due diligence, we've done the meetings with the CPA, we've done the meeting with the financial advisor and they're like, I've never heard of it. I don't know. And they want to say no, but they haven't really said no yet. And the client, you know, they come to us in a position of trust because someone they know trusts that they trust has referred us to them. Like I said, we don't advertise, we don't market. What would you tell them now that you're a client and you've been a client for a few years now, what would you tell them to get them off the fence to do this? Hmm. I think it's like any big decision in life. I think any, like most people would be lying if they said they didn't get some sort of like cold feet before it, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're getting married, whether you're buying a house, whether you're starting a business, right? Even though you know 
deep down it's the right decision, you're always going to have those questions of like, well, what if, right? That are going to keep you from taking that leap forward. And I just, I think to ask questions is good, but to overcomplicate it and overanalyze things, I mean, it's, it's never good. It's just that balance. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just taking that leap of faith and, you know, again, like you got to take risks. And again, this isn't a huge risk. I mean, you're protected in so many ways, but it's like, hey, you can, like you said, you can go to, you know, some website, sign up for the cheapest one you can get. And maybe your family will get 2 million when you die. And that's great. But why not make that two, 15, 20, you know, 50? That's, you know, and, and like that to me, again, it's like, you can't beat that. So yeah, I would say just, again, it's just a, it's just another way to diversify your portfolio. You know, don't know that you've heard the expression, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I didn't have everything in real estate, everything in, you know, with my CFP, I just, I'm going to be spread out in case of, you know, some economic disaster or whatever. I've got some place to pull from whatever, but even though I don't think that's going to happen, I just, yeah, I just think it's worth looking into worth, you know, do some more homework. If you don't feel, you know, peace about it, like just really dig into it. Find, try to find the loopholes because it's, you won't like, it's very upfront. It's, you guys make it very clear, black and white, like this is what you're looking at and this is what you're going to get. And I would say also just talk to someone who's been in it, you know, who's had a policy for X amount of years, who's been in it, who's seen the ins and outs, seen the ups and downs and, you know, someone that can speak into it, be like, look, it's fine. My policy is performing. It's, you know, we've had some down years, but it's doing what they said it would do. Well, I think that's exactly what you're providing for them right now. That last part is they're getting to hear directly from you, someone who's been through some ups and downs and you've seen it, right? So, and you're still here and you're still happy with the design and the structure and you're willing to come on a podcast and talk about something that right. quite frankly is not your bailiwick. It's like asking me to sing a song. You wouldn't want me to do that. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Josh. I appreciate it. And we are thrilled to death to have you as a client. More importantly, I'm happy to have you as a friend. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Appreciate it, John. Thank you. All right, man. Bye-bye. There we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at premiumfinanceshow.com. And you can find out more about all the ways we can help you at coolspringsfinancial.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.